sing along if uh, Mr. Alden would please lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance. To the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. With that, uh, we have general public comment on the agenda for items that are not on the agenda. There is one item on this agenda. This is a workshop for stormwater management. If there's anyone from the council, uh, from the in the council chambers, that wishes to talk about any other item other than stormwater management, and we set aside three minutes per speaker for items that are not on the agenda. So, is there anyone that wishes to speak to an item that is not stormwater management? Okay, with that, public comment is hereby closed for general comment, and with that, we're on to our workshop. We'll take public comment following the staff presentation. Mr. St. John. Good evening, Mayor, Council members, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, my name is Dan St. John. I'm the Director of Public Works and Utilities, and I have with me our entire stormwater management team. I don't know about the entire team, but certainly the key members of the team that helped us pull this presentation together today. And I'd like to introduce them if I might. Uh, we've got Kurt Bates, our, our city engineer. We've got Bill Mushalo, our finance director. There he is. And uh, Lena Cox, who's our environmental services supervisor. And she's currently our team leader for stormwater um, uh, permitting and management. Uh, Pat Duran is representing our operations unit and has provided quite a, a lot of information in terms of how we do our maintenance and operations. And of course, Pam Tuff is our special projects manager uh, representing our capital group. And of course, she's doing a lot of our big stormwater projects managing. So with that, uh, we'll just kick it off here. I've only been here a year, but I know this community values stormwater management. And I think some of these pictures um, that uh, Bob Dyer was so so uh, gracious to let us use really shows why we value it. But these are some of the benefits that we uh, that we derive from stormwater management, and you, and and it's it's important to talk about benefits, and 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 you'll see why later in the presentation. But flood control and uh, prevention, huge benefit to all of us. Water quality in the river, wildlife, waterfowl, and fisheries protection, something that, that this community values very highly. And of course, protection of the river marsh uh, environment. And what stormwater presentation would be complete without a picture of one of our floods? Just again to remind us why storm uh, flood protection is such a huge benefit to everybody in the community. You don't have to be one of those homes to benefit. They benefit all of us, whether it's directly or through economic benefit, our ability to get to work, to get to places to shop, uh, and so forth. We all benefit when we can protect against storms. So what we're going to talk about tonight is really three areas. Uh, we're going to start out by talking about the interfund loan. And again, we, we could talk about that as part of stormwater funding, but we thought that since it's uh, a, a more immediate issue 
and um, it's something the council has already taken up that we would go ahead and cover it first uh, we're going to talk about the status and what we think the needs will be uh, in the next two years uh, stormwater program itself we want to define really for everybody what is stormwater management what, what's the program look like we've got O&M we've got flood plain management um, it gets into how we review new projects and redevelopment projects uh, development review it gets into our capital program and in the uh, permit requirements for MS4 now I'm gonna you go ahead and use that jargon since it's it's so it's so well used it stands for you can read it down at the bottom municipal separate storm sewer systems it's part of the national pollution discharge elimination system it's tied to the Clean Water Act um, I've been living it my whole career so uh, and then we're going to finish the discussion on, on options for stormwater funding we're going to look at you know what are existing sources that we're currently using and I think you're going to be a little surprised uh, what are the industry practices uh, we've got a couple of surveys to talk to you about and um, you know the difference between a tax and a user fee so as we get into and we're going to end on a discussion of stormwater utility as a funding source and so it's important to distinguish tax versus user fee that provides benefit to those that pay commensurate with the amount they pay um, I should point out that the MS4 permit could be a workshop unto itself so we're not going to get really deep into that is that okay Lena okay good um, okay let's uh, let's talk about our stormwater interfund loan for a minute uh, you'll recall back in July of last year that, uh, you uh, approved or this council approved a 18-month loan authorizing eight hundred thousand dollars from the uh, the storm storm drain impact fee fund to be borrowed and put into the stormwater utility fund where the operating expenses occur for stormwater management uh, that was approved we've projected the amount of that loan that will be used by the end of this month is on the order of five hundred twenty nine thousand dollars so what we're going to talk about is um, you know extending that loan we're recommending that the council approves extension of that loan and we would obviously bring that back to you uh, after we've had a chance to discuss Mr. Mayor it can I jump in with a question sure. um, so Dan can you explain why that's uh, the, the, that burn rate is so much lower than what was projected that's a pretty substantial difference uh, basically we have just done the absolute minimum that we've had to do in terms of maintenance uh, you'll see on the next slide we haven't spent virtually anything on capital and um, and so we've been be, because it's a loan situation we have not gone into it as deep we haven't done uh, any planning studies or we haven't done a lot of the the out-of-pocket stuff that I think was originally estimated okay Consulting so work, what is what you're, is what you're saying is that the spending rate over the last year and a half has been lower than what would be sustainable over the long term absolutely Okay. Absolutely, and yeah, and you're you're, you're ahead of me, and you'll, you'll see that here in a minute. Um, because we don't expect cash flow from any dedicated funding until March of 2015, and the reason is is because the the methods that we've looked at and that we want to talk to you about 
uh, both require uh, an election, and that election is November of 2014. So we're not anticipating that any dedicated funding program be in place before that time. So that's why we're recommending the extension through uh, fiscal year 15, which is July 30th, 2015. And here's a little bit of that detail, uh, Council Member Healy, you were asking about. And if you can look at FY13, which is the year we're just wrapping up, you can see development review, you know, we don't spend money there. Uh, capital replacement, I think that was a minor project we did out at Schollenberger. I mean, essentially no expenditure in those areas from our storm drain uh, uh, cost center. Um, you'll notice that, you know, unfortunately the city is in a position where it's required to spend a significant amount of resource, and you'll see it there in legal, to defend ourselves. It's unfortunate that, that that funding and resource could not have been put into solving our funding conundrum, but you'll see some significant uh, dollars in legal, and that is to defend that that's the lawsuit where we're defending ourselves. What exactly is are we spending in the floodplain management category for? Uh, that would be some consulting work by our, uh, our West consultants who maintain our uh, floodplain floodplain model. That's primarily what that number is. Um, so we, we, we have projected some expenditures to maintain our model, and we're going to get into some of those specifics, not so much the dollars, but what, what's involved. You can see the MS4 permit requirements uh, are going up significantly, and these are honestly our best guess, and they are guesses. I've reviewed uh, stormwater budgets from a number of other cities, and they're all over the board. Um, we are still evaluating, and we're going to get into this here in a minute, what, what all the new requirements are. We don't even, we haven't even been told yet what all the uh, monitoring requirements are, for instance. So we're still working those uh, costs out. And uh, you'll see here under program setup, we, we've, we've plugged some money there. To, uh, to hire some expertise to help us in the direction that the council uh, sends us in terms of uh, finding dedicated funding sources. So you can see in the next two years, we're looking at approximately a, a little over a million dollars. And when that is plugged in down here, you can see the computation. This is what we've extended, expended through the current fiscal year. This is what's projected in the next two fiscal years, totaling just under 1.6 million. We have an approved uh, loan of 800000 so the additional loan is just the subtraction. $757,000 is our best estimate at this time. So just to wrap up this section of the presentation, uh, we, we are recommending that we uh, continue this source of dedicated funding through FY15 to give us time to set up a sustainable program uh, that those costs, as, as, I, as you just saw in the previous slide, do include the fiscal planning and the studies, the legal costs, uh, outreach, election, and so forth. Um, and we're recommending that we extend for 24 months through FY15 for an additional $757,000. I should point out what's not in that. As, as we said before, we, we're not budgeting CIP right now. 
just because of, of our constraints. Uh, development engineering, uh, we don't have any additional uh, development engineering expenses or, or additional floodplain management expenses in these numbers at this time. And there's no dredging. There's no maintenance dredging in those numbers. So moving into the discussion of what is a stormwater management program, we thought the, the best place to start that discussion is what are our assets that we are managing that require O&M and require capital replacement and planning and so forth. And so this gives you a quick summary of, of what we've got. Um, what's interesting here, and you've seen these numbers in various reports before, but you can see that the entire watershed of the Petaluma is about nine times the uh, area of our urban growth boundary. Um, we've got seven miles of the river here. Um, we've got pump stations, stormwater pump stations. I think a lot of times we forget the oxidation ponds at Ellis Creek are part of our stormwater system. That's where stormwater goes when it gets into our wastewater and, and otherwise would overrun our wastewater treatment plant except that the plant was designed to take that stormwater. Um, we've got the river gauge system and uh, as I said, I, I, I don't need to read you the slide here, but that summarizes what we've got in terms of assets. So the first, the first area of a stormwater uh, program is operation and maintenance. That's why Pat's here. So any questions you have on O&M, he can answer. And, and these are the, uh, the things we do uh, to operate and maintain all of those facilities that were listed on the previous slide. What's surprising are the things that occur that we don't necessarily have to do with our own staff in-house. For instance, channel vegetation and debris removal. Um, well, I, I guess I should start with the first one, street sweeping. Street, street sweeping is part of our solid waste program. Street sweeping is a core piece of stormwater management, but we're doing it under solid waste. Uh, vegetable uh, vegetation and debris removal from our channels is largely done by the Sonoma County Water Agency within our jurisdiction. I've got a map that'll show that here coming up. Our river gauge network is a partnership with USGS and of course river dredging is a partnership with the uh, US Army Corps of Engineers. Uh, again, to illustrate the example of, of channel maintenance, uh, you can see the red lines are the responsibility of Sonoma County Water Agency. You can see that within our jurisdiction there's probably more red lines than there are green lines. And green lines are ours. Um, and I should point out that we have a very good working relationship with the water agency and that at times when we have to do maintenance on some of our channels, but their equipment and their permits, they're willing to use them on our behalf. And we, we exchange services or, or occasionally we even have to pay them, right? So uh, that's, a, that's a good partnership for us. Moving on to the, the next element is floodplain management. We've got a list of activities uh, that are covered within our, our, our floodplain management element. Uh, these are things that our city engineer, Kurt Bates, manages. And um, obviously the remapping of our flood maps is the big thing going on right now. 
Now that's going to be over by next spring and we'll be down to just the normal roar of letters of map revisions and development uh, implications and so forth. But we've got things in there like flood readiness, uh, which is ongoing vigilance, uh, eliminating sanitary sewer overflows and so forth. Again, as we mentioned before, uh, these activities are at least partially funded by the general fund but could be funded by a stormwater utility. Mr. Mayor. Mr. St. John, looking at this, uh, our last council meeting during public comment, we had two residents of the Payran area come and speak to the flood fix. And can you address that at all, just, just so we can say publicly here where we're at, or are you prepared to do that, sir? Uh, yes, we are, and I, I again, that is a project that that uh, Pam Tuff manages. She she is in constant communication with the Army Corps uh, project managers. Uh, they are busy preparing the project to be bid, so that we can do the last five percent. Yeah, it's about two point five million out of a forty-two million dollar project, um, and they're getting it all teed up. They do not have the funding yet to build the project, they being the Corps of Engineers. Um, I should point out, and we've got some, Pam's got some great pictures, and I wish I'd have brought them, but um, from my observation of the 2005 flood pictures, it looks to me that the project worked pretty dadgum good to protect that area. Now we know that there is that short section where we have not completed the flood wall and we've got to get that completed. But with the, uh, the stormwater pump stations that were installed, the, the, the restrictions that were removed from the river, remember the railroad bridge and there was another couple bridges I guess, and um, with the uh, flood wall and the weir, upstream weir built, that project is you know, again, anecdotally, it looks like it's doing what it was intended to do. And uh, from our observations, even in, in late November, when, when, when our crews were out, you know, on flood alert, and I was out looking at things, it, it looked to me that it was doing a darn good job. If I could hone this in a little bit, because the complaints really were about when will they not have to buy flood insurance. So I think what I heard earlier was springtime is when the final mapping will be done and that'll, that'll be an end to those that will be lifted out of the floodplain. Yeah, we're looking at February as that date. Okay. February 2014. Thank you. Yes. In addition, sir, there was a, a comment so that we're doing a project on the Denman Reach where stair-stepping, we're tearing that area up in there, purchasing some property. And why are we doing spending money there and not completing the project down below? And it's try to explain apples and oranges, and it's maybe you can do a better job of explaining that, sir. I think in one word, opportunity. Denman Reach is a grant-funded project, and with Pam's leadership, we were able to take advantage of the opportunity to get those grants so that we could number one purchase the property and number two build the property. Um, that's that's really the long and short of it. Uh, thank Ms. Tuff for her expertise and going back to 2005 uh, as we opened the EOC she was a key member in making sure that all that happened there happened correctly. 
Okay, don't go away in the next flood, okay, Pam? Okay, good. All right. Um, the next element is development review. Um, you know, big part of what we do in development, obviously, is reviewing plans for all sorts of things, but to review the plans for the stormwater policies adopted in the general plan and the phase two stormwater program policies for best management practice and low, in low impact development. So those are things that we currently do now to make sure the new development, you know, at least does what it can to try to mitigate the effects of, of storm flows. Um, you know, we're currently doing inspections. Those inspections are going to have to increase with a new permit. Uh, we're doing uh, reporting and audits. That's going to become more onerous. Um, Lena, didn't you tell me that we have, to, as part of the permit, we've got to review our ordinances and update them within the first two years? So we will be talking more about that over the next couple of years with you. And uh, just to point out that most of our funding for development review activities are cost recovery. In other words, developers pay for our costs to review their plans, <coughs> inspect their projects. Some of it is general fund, and some of it is permit fees. So again, these are costs that could move into a stormwater operation. The next element of the program is capital. And um, I, uh, again, with Pam's help, we pulled together a couple of lists of capital projects. Now, this particular list is, is a, uh, a list, it's not a comprehensive list. It's probably a little dated but it's, it's the best we have for projects that we would be doing on our nickel. And you can see it's more than a nickel, but uh, it, it's to illustrate that we've got a number of projects that we would be uh, hoping to fund through a stormwater funding mechanism um, rather than grants. Although, obviously, we're going to take advantage of any opportunity we can for grants. Can I, can I jump in there, Mr. Mayor? Um, so, you know, one th one thing that we haven't gotten to yet, and maybe maybe this is a good point to ask the question, but with the proposed interfund loan extension, um, the fund that's being borrowed from is a develop is a development impact fee, stormwater impact fund. Is this a list of projects that could be funded out of that um, that program? And so there's an opportunity cost that we're foregoing this to continue the operations if we follow the staff recommendation. That's probably three questions in one, but. I, th I, I think to answer the one on the uh, stormwater impact fees, I think some of these probably could be funded out of that, but remember. But you're not proposing to do that at this time. I'm not proposing to do it at this time. It, this is really an illustration that we have our own list of stormwater okay. projects. So you're, you're some, of the, some of these are essentially the opportunity cost of what we're foregoing doing so we can continue the loan in place. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we really couldn't get into this without, uh, uh, you know, a little bit more funding. I'm going to pause here for another question. Are you finished, Mr. Healy? Councilmember Barrett. So is this list all-inclusive of all the projects that need to be done for storm impact for throughout the city? What is this, how is this then drawn up? Well, I, I think the point is, is this is the best list we have today. Of? Now, there is another list uh, that you're going to see that are the uh, uh, Zone 2A funded type projects. But this is the best list we have today because we have not done a stormwater master plan update in a number of years because of lack of funding. Uh, 
Okay, but I guess my real question was how were these prioritized? And these are the ones that need to be gotten to as uh, in yes. need of fail or close to failure or I, I'm not prepared to really get into that detail tonight, but again, the point was to illustrate that we've got a lot of work to do and to make the point that should the council decide to move forward on this, that part of our planning and financial planning and legal planning and, and efforts to set up a dedicated funding source would be to answer those questions, okay. is to bring this list up to date, prioritize this list, you know, check the cost estimates, and then put them on a more of a systemized CIP proposal so we have a full cash flow in our financial model so, so that when we start talking funding, we've got, you know, we've got our expense model that we're trying to match our funding to. Okay, thank you. Can I jump Mr. in? Mr. Kearney. First, Mr. Kearney, then Mr. Healy. So, Mr. St. John, you opened up a, a question or thought in my head with that. Um, one of the issues when we go back to that map and all of those red lines on the east side of town one of the areas that we are seeing people possibly moving into the new flood areas is around uh washington and that lauren drive area behind you know where the east east washington creek kind of runs behind their house mm -hmm. some of those folks are now moving into being ha having to purchase flood insurance and that's not a creek that we maintain so if we were to theoretically uh, go down the road of having to create a, uh, a tax or a fee for the stormwater, would we theoretically maybe be looking at using some of those funds to, to bolster the efforts of Sonoma County Water Agency since they're not moving as aggressively as some of us would like on the east side of town, especially with the creek maintenance? Uh, I mean, I can name two or three creeks where it's entirely overgrown and, and it is prohibitive of water flow through there, but I don't think that the Sonoma County Water Agency is putting enough money into maintaining those creeks. I, again, multiple questions here. I'll try to, I, I'll try to hit the first question, which I think what I heard was, if we had a dedicated source of funding, could we then use it to maybe leverage our partnership with the water agency to get a better job done of maintaining certain creeks and i would think absolutely in fact we've got an agreement right now that that we've been reviewing that that would allow us to actually hire them to do creek maintenance on air on on sections of creeks that are not their responsibility again they've got the equipment they've got the permitting they've got certain resources that we don't necessarily have not that we can't go out and hire it but we don't have it in-house, so, so there's an advantage for us to work closely with them. But again, I, I think you really hit on the value of dedicated funding. It gives us the ability to do more, to leverage more, to leverage more grants, to leverage more partnership, and to go after the projects that this community identifies as being priority. I hope I answered your question. <laughs> if not, I'll... Well, let's see if yeah, I can answer Mr. Healy's. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I, I think I think I was kind of looking at this with the same eye that Mr. Kearney did, although maybe I'm taking a little bit broader perspective. I look at this list and I, I see a list of you know very worthy projects, but they're all kind of what I would call bite-sized, um, and and none of them look to me like they're really designed with the ambition of significantly lowering flood elevations or taking swaths of the community out of the, pl the floodplain and you know 
I will say 12 to 15 years ago, we, we did have a, a council, and Pamela Tuft was, was here at the time, that really got ambitious, and we, we took on something that we were told was hopeless, and we would never get it done, and we're now 95% of the way towards doing that. And, and I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm looking, and, and I, I know I'll get the response about dedicated funding sources in response to this, but what, what can we do thinking bigger picture to really improve the floodplain situation in the community and, and take take areas out of the floodplain and, and reduce floodplain. That's why I'm so excited, quite frankly, about the Denman Reach projects, because it, it has a significant um, impact uh, on, on the, that region of town, and I, I'm very much looking forward to that continuing. Well, I, I think we're of a similar mind, and I think the next list will start answering some of those questions. But again, the comment I made earlier about the uh, Petaluma River watershed is nine times the size of the city. That means the opportunity to control floods in, in, in the Petaluma River are probably nine times as many of them outside of the city limits. And particularly, and, and these are projects, the, area, the Willowbrook area, we, we think is some real key opportunities for exactly what you mentioned in terms of more of a big bite out of the floodplain by creating uh, regional or, or watershed level detention facilities to really take the peak off of those floods. Willowbrook's got a great opportunity. Uh, we, we've looked at some properties up on, in, in Corona, but again, they haven't been developed to the point of making it onto a list or into a master plan per se. And again, I promised that I'd show the other side of the, the list, which are bigger projects. These are more maybe, you know, full sandwich bite type projects. And these are, these are the partnership type projects like the Denman Reach, the Capri Creek that, uh, that y'all have uh, recently dealt with and some of the other projects that are that are large more significant watershed type projects that we believe uh, is is really where the opportunity again to uh, councilmember Kearney's comment about leveraging our resources where we can leverage these resources with hopefully with with uh, Sonoma County Water Agency and zone 2a to really make bigger things happen um, I should point out that um, and we're going to talk about this in another slide, but the water agency has a property tax. We pay a property tax for stormwater management. It goes to the water agency. They use it for a number of things. Here's their budget. If anybody want to know, wants to know what's in it, um, this year they're looking at total revenues of $1.353 million, mostly from tax revenue. And that's the funding that we need to really be working on to leverage. Now they've got their own job to do. They've got like, you know, they've got a large area outside of our city limits plus the ditches that you just saw in the previous slide. But still there's there's some money there that I think we can work with them on. Mr. Mayor. I hope we can. Mr. St. John, on one of your, your project titles here, and I'm just curious specifically the Kelly Creek at Sunny Slope Avenue. Is and, and just for clarification, is this something that's being discussed? Something that's being done? Something that's on a, a, a list to be funded sometime soon? Just for clarification, this is this this one intersection got a lot of uh, discussion in a recent development project. Um, 
it's definitely being discussed. It was budgeted last year by the water agency for $62,000 for a pre-design study, apparently, but I'm not seeing it budgeted within the five-year. Okay, so we're studying the existing condition and we haven't defined a full project yet. Yeah. We're going to need to research it again. I, I knew the danger of showing these slides for illustrative purposes was going to be we were going to want to talk about individual projects and we're really not prepared tonight to go much into detail on these projects other than to say that there's a lot of capital projects out there both within our area and within the area of zone 2A. So with that, we'll move into the uh, the next element, which is the MS4 Phase 2 permit. And again, this is the one that we could spend the entire evening on, but we are going to try not to. Um, this permit was originally issued as the, uh, the initial permit was issued in, in 2003 to the smaller municipalities. That's populations less than 100,000. Uh, those phase one communities had their permits several three four years before that I believe in the late 90s uh, Santa Rosa area for instance would be a phase one permit um, these permits are subject to renewal every five years right and yet it appears that we're only having our first renewal so we're five years late on the renewal and that was adopted this spring it's effective uh, July 1st and that's what we're gearing up to comply with uh, fortunately the the conditions of this permit are phased in so we've got some things we've got to work on the first year or two then then we've got another timeline and so forth so we don't have to implement everything the first year thank goodness um, so the basic requirements is to eliminate non-stormwater discharge uh, to our receiving waters and to do a better job impl implementing LIDs and BMPs. Um, we've already talked about the need for us to review our ordinances uh, Dan, could for you, BMPs could, and LIDs. Could, could you translate that second from the bottom bullet point into something I'd understand? Require best What, what is non-stormwater discharges? Uh, sewer, industrial, car washes, um, Hey, you're gonna you're, we are we are now being told that we cannot have charity car washes without them being permitted so it's that kind of discharge uh, discharge from over irrigation yeah pressure washing in your driveway things like that so you can't people can't wash their own cars Residents can, but charity car washes are subject to permitting under the new permit. And, and that's, that's what's in effect now? That's what will be in effect July 1st. I don't know when the implementation of that is with, car, with charity car washes. Yeah. So, so we'll, there will be a big effort in the next two years to review our ordinances, bring our ordinances into compliance with the phase two permit requirements, which would include things like uh, charity car washes and LID 
and BMPs and things like that in our development code. Um, so the new permit seeks to expand the existing permit in these areas, everything from education and outreach, public involvement, uh, again, the whole concept, concept of illicit discharge detection and elimination and so forth. So these are things that we are currently ramping up to take care of. Um, so we've listed the new elements of the permit, things like program management element. We've been told one half FDE manager. We've been advised by the San Francisco Water Quality Control Board that they would expect us to have one half of a staff member just to manage the permit. We don't have that today. Um, so additional water quality monitoring, although that's an interesting one because most phase two permits don't require water quality monitoring, but we do because the river has some impairments. Um, I should have mentioned that earlier. The, the Petaluma River is, has impairments for nitrogen, phosphorus, diazinon, which is a um, herbicide, and pathogens. Those are listed as uh, pollutants that impair oh, and sediment and trash. That wasn't in the report I read. Must be outdated. So we, we haven't even been told what total of uh, all the constituents that we're even monitoring for yet. But we're, we've got a monitor. Um, so we've got some expanded requirements that you can see there and it appears that uh, we will be also addressing trash reduction in a permit opener in, uh, in two fiscal years from now. So let's change gears. Let's talk about uh, uh, stormwater funding options and uh, what we are currently doing today. And as I said, this was a bit of a surprise to me. Maybe it'll be a surprise to other folks that uh, currently, yes, we do use property tax to fund stormwater management within our city. It doesn't come to us, it goes to the water agency, but their activities are stormwater management. Uh, we don't currently use sales tax. Property assessments are not currently being used, but they had formerly been used. Uh, the water agency uh, previously had a property assessment that went into the Zone 2A uh, budget. Uh, we have limited use of water and wastewater fees where there are direct benefits to the wastewater facilities by doing stormwater management practices. Uh, I, I mentioned earlier the oxidation ponds out at Ellis. The fact that we clean our inlets and pipes and try to prevent uh, sanitary sewer overflows and and excessive infiltration into our wastewater system has a direct benefit to our customers in reducing wastewater management costs. Uh, grants, obviously with Denman and some of the other zone 2A and state grants, Payran flood project, which obviously is Army Corps of Engineers, um, development fees through cost recovery and, 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 and actually the fee amount, and we do have the impact fees. Um, no user fees. 
how do other people do it? Well, in our research, we came across this little uh, analysis report done by the City of San Diego's um, Independent Budget Analyst Office of the 12 bigs in California. And the takeaway from this is that everybody does it a little bit differently. Um, you can see that there are four that have stormwater charges. Um, you can see there are four that use sewer and water charges, just as we do, even though we've been told or we've been criticized for what we do. Uh, some of the biggest cities in the, in, the, in the state use water and wastewater fees. Um, the other takeaway from this is half of those bigs have at least three sources of funding for stormwater. Well, I, I warned you that we would end up with a discussion of stormwater utility districts, and here we are. So stormwater utility districts is the probably one of the most, if not most common method of funding. Now I have this little primer for you. I'm wondering if I can hand this out. And uh, I'll need you to talk into the microphone, though. Don't walk away and talk. Thank you. Uh, the document was prepared by the American Public Works Association, and it speaks specifically to funding. It's a very, it's a very handy read, very quick read, for um, talking about this subject. The key point of a utility district is, first of all, it's not really a separate district. People think stormwater utility district, it sits over there at another building, it has another staff. No, it's just a funding mechanism. It uses existing staff, existing facilities, existing equipment. It's just a, a way of generating dedicated funding. It is a user fee. The principle of stormwater utility is you pay for the benefit you receive. And you pay based on the amount of runoff you generate. And so there's, um, you know, I, I should point out that in one of the studies we reviewed, it was a study by Western Kentucky University, they actually surveyed 1,314 stormwater utility districts across the country. And the population of those districts averaged about 73,000 folks. Uh, we also reviewed another study by Black and Veatch that, that had some useful information in it as well. So it's not considered a tax. It is considered uh, pay for service, just like you would for electricity or, or wastewater or, or, or anything else you pay for. Um, it's tied to the benefit that you receive by having somebody else manage your runoff. In this case, we're talking the city. And uh, the benefit you receive, we've already talked about, flood protection, water quality, habitat, reduced wastewater costs, these are direct benefits. Uh, economic benefits, having the town open during a flood, those kinds of things. Typically, um, the concept of impervious area, impervious areas like concrete or paving or a rooftop or something that doesn't percolate water, uh, but usually impervious area is used as a surrogate for runoff. So the more impervious area you have, the more runoff you generate, and therefore the likelihood that you would probably pay a little bit higher fee under this type of a scenario. Uh, typically an equivalent unit, a dwelling unit, 
is up to about 7,500 square feet of impervious area. Um, it varies all over the board. I should point out, it is a, as I said, it's a user fee, can often be collected with a water sewer bill. It can be on the property tax bill. Of course, the downside of that is people see it on their property tax bill, they think it's a tax. It's not a tax. One moment, please, Mr. Harris. I guess a, a quick question, maybe you're answering this later. Are we making this overly, um, this distinction between the tax and user fee, because there's a probably a two-thirds versus majority vote differential if it goes to the people? Is that why we're making that um, distinction, besides the definition, but the distinction for discussion purposes? I, I think it's important to really hammer the concept that you pay for service. You pay for a benefit. Therefore, it is a, pee, a, a fee. Um, you get into the legal issues, and we'll get into 218 issues and so forth as we move down the road. So either way, if it's a, you know, if we, if the council were decided to go in the direction of sales tax or something like that, obviously it requires a vote. Well, as we know, a stormwater user fee also requires a vote under 218. Mr. Danley. Um, th thank you, Mr. Mayor. If I could just quickly add. Um, you're both Councilmember um, Harris and, and Dan are right in the sense that um, Prop 218 takes, it treats differently assessments from taxes from property related fees. So depending on what program or parts of a program are involved and what the ultimate, you know, assuming that a utility approach is ultimately or continues to be um, the direction of the council, part of that will, will require deciding into which a, a bucket or buckets the program fits for Prop 218 purposes and for voter approval purposes because there are different procedural and substantive rules for each of them. And what Dan's contrasting here is tax versus assessment, benefit assessment, which have different rules. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Could I jump on them? Yes, Mr. Healy. Thank you. So, uh, Mr. Danley's, um, if there was a Prop 218 election and we were doing it as as assessment for for services and not calling it a tax what would what would be the voter threshold required would that be majority or something else um i believe it's a, just a majority an affirmative vote with a majority but i'll, I'll double check and get back and, and then the, the second question is is there a requirement uh, as there is for some other things that this be on an election where council seats are also up I, th that's definitely a requirement for a general purpose tax levy. I don't know that it is for assessments, but I'll get, be happy to get back on that too. Because I, I'd hate to be in a situation where we're trying to put two different measures on the same ballot. And we'll have plenty of time for all of this to work its way through the system. So, well, no, yeah, okay. Well, I mean, there's. I mean, I agree with there, you. There's but a slide coming up that is talking about. Well, it doesn't say fall. Okay, never mind. Okay. But it's 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 true that s some of the germane considerations include you know what kind of a vote is required when. Um, the thing about assessments is that it's um, some some real care in putting a nexus together to show that the the value is is um, tied closely to the benefit for that property owner in that parcel that that's needed to satisfy a prop 218 so so what is the best approach for utility funding or approaches 
are affected by those kinds of considerations like voting rules, procedure requirements, notice, when must it occur, um, what kind of a study is needed to support it, um, do we have the facts that do we have? Do, the, do we have the facts, or can we do a, a study that that will um, that will satisfy those requirements? And you know, is there support of the voters for what aspect of the proposed program? So those are all part of the mix. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Yes, sir, Mr. Albertson. And and just looking at this same slide, the pay for service like wastewater and for the voters. Uh, we have those that are living in lower elevations in the Payrand area that have flooded historically. Uh, and then those who are living in the higher elevations up the top of McNear Country Club. Uh, so the, it's, it's across the board for this election. Because those at the higher elevations, I don't know if they're going to have as much empathy as those certainly that have been flooded out before. And that's one. And then two, the, 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 where we, if we're changing the flood map, where the, those who might have had flood insurance before now might get some reprieve. Are we going to replace that, those fees with potentially, could we replace those fees with a, a, a tax or a fee for service? Um, I, I think, the, the, let me see if I can handle that. The, the first question, yeah, you always get into that situation, is the guy on the hill getting the same benefit as the guy in the valley? And the way that has been handled in places that I've been and places I've in, in uh, articles I've read is yes, they both get a benefit. The fact that you're on the hill and you're not going to get flooded by that hundred-year storm, you still get the benefit of being able to get in your car, drive across town, without being flooded out on the streets and getting to work or getting to the store or getting to school. So there still is a benefit. There's an economic benefit in keeping the commerce going that we all benefit by. So there still are flood benefits even though you live on the hill and not in the valley. Now again, that's only one of the benefits. The other benefits, water quality, we all benefit from the water quality in the river, habitat, those kinds of things. But uh, I think you're, you're, you're treading into an area where we are going to need to do some discussion, and that is on this whole public outreach and, and how do you get that message across. And as I said, there's thousands of districts across the nation that have succeeded in that. And what can we learn from those who have already gone before us and implemented these types of systems? But generally speaking, uh, the benefits are broad. and um, and. You know, from what I've read, they've withheld, you know, numerous legal challenge across the country. And this is kind of where the industry that I've spent most of my career in, this is what we do to solve this problem. Is, is you know, and, and it's passed the legal mustard elsewhere. Councilmember Barrett. Um, so I just want to make uh, or understand something a little more clearly on page 20, this well, the slide you have up. Um, EDU, no, the one you just had, yeah. EDU up to 7,500 square feet. So is that saying that for a commercial building or a commercial site, you just divide it into 7,500 and make it EDUs? You're way ahead of me. Okay. The way that's done typically is a survey is done of residential uh, units within the community and you know and and we actually 
pull them up on the GIS and somebody measures the impervious area of say, you know, 10 or 20 or 30 randomly selected residential properties and we average the impervious cover for those properties. Oftentimes the road that serves the property that would not be there except that the property is there is counted into the impervious area as well. And so you end up with an average impervious area per residential property like let's pick an easy number 5,000 so you know obviously you're involved in this process um, single-family typically just has one multi-family might be less than that because apartment complex condo uh, units and so forth typically have less impervious area per dwelling unit so they may have a a, a fraction of that 5,000 so you come up with an EDU in this example say 5,000 the way that's applied to industry and commercial is really on a project-by-project project basis where the, pro pro the property is evaluated in terms of the total impervious area, just as you pointed out, divided by 5,000 in my example, and that comes out with an EDU. Now if, if your, your cost per EDU is anything on that chart right there, then it's a matter if you're in San Bruno and you're five EDUs, you pay five times that number. Okay. It's really that simple. Okay. But, but um, you do, the, the method that, and again, I, I would encourage you to at least review the, the, the little booklet there, but it, it has passed legal mustard that you can use the averages, that it's, that it's close to the benefit discussion. Every resident doesn't get its own specific measurement. That would be just too onerous to manage. You couldn't do it. So the last uh, slide before we kind of get to the, the, the wrap up is a, uh, a summary of typical rates. Again, these rates came from two different uh, surveys. Both surveys are dated 2012. One is the Black and Beach survey I referenced. The other one is the Western Kentucky University that surveyed over 1,300 across the country. And I, and I pulled out all the ones from, that I could find from California because I thought, you know, that'd be a good place to start. And you can see, the range uh, from less than $2 a month per house to almost $12 a month per house depending on where you are. Now I don't normally do this but uh, uh, one of the reviewers suggested that well you know to get the discussion going what if? What if Petaluma was four bucks? And you can see that four dollars per month and we've got about 2,100 meters out there for our water system. So, you know, roughly 21, 2,200, I'm sorry, 1,000, 21, 22,000 residential units, plus an estimated sort of percentage of commercial industrial EDUs. You multiply it all out, and you're, you're talking about something in the $1.3 million range that's $4 a month. So it kind of gives you an idea. And as we, as we saw on some earlier slides where we were looking at, at our minimum projections for next year and the year after for the purpose of our loan, that we're probably in the five dollars $600,000 range. But again, no capital. No, we're not paying for our FTEs that do floodplain, that do a number of the activities. So if you, if you put it all in there, that 1.3 may not go as far as you think it might go. But again, I don't want to give the impression to anybody that that's the number. 
That number comes out of the types of studies that's outlined in, in the handbook that I, that I passed out. Um, but I think, it, but I think it's good. It's not $40 a month. It's probably not 50 cents a month. But that kind of gives you an idea of maybe what we're talking about in general, in general terms. Okay, to wrap up then, we, what we are um, seeking direction for are two things. Short term, um, what do we do with the existing interfund loan? And of course, we're recommending that we continue funding stormwater management, that we extend the loan for 24 months, and we increase the amount by, and that number didn't change. I apologize. Yeah, my bad. Okay, so 757,000, which is the number we had in, in the previous slide. Um, for long term, we're recommending that we uh, that we go down the path of a stormwater utility district. Um, we believe that that is the mainstream for our industry. It certainly is something that's not uncommon in California. It's very common nationally and uh, and that we begin implementing the process immediately because the document I just gave you financing stormwater utilities is suggesting that your typical formation timeline is 18 to 24 months well we're talking about 24 months having this up and running so that we don't have to continue uh, loans and again we would anticipate that this type of a schedule would put this matter to the uh, on the ballot for the citizens to consider under a prop two, uh, 218 measure uh, sometime we were suggesting November 2014 but obviously we're going to do some research and find out what our options are uh, for some of the uh, uh, other uh, election maybe the, the primaries or something like that so that wraps up the formal presentation. And again, I've got to close on why we're doing this, why we value stormwater management, and what the ultimate benefits are for all of us to move forward on this. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other questions before we get to public comment on this? We'll take public comment. I know. Um, Tiffany Renee is here, and that's the one card that I have on public comment on this. And by prior arrangement, we've arranged for a PowerPoint presentation, a 10-minute presentation by Ms. Renee. Thank you. I just need a moment to pull the video okay. up.
this presentation um, has been put together through our uh, class that uh, our group called Water, uh, Watershed Alliance to Enhance the River, uh, put together. And um, I just need to figure out where the speakers are. I need to point the mic at the speakers. A river is the ultimate basin of relations, the place where all the factors influencing the Petaluma area come together. Land, wind, rain, plants, animals, industry, government input, and human concerns, just to name a few. Petaluma exists because the river is here. Yes, we've heard the statement, whiskey is for drinking, water is for fighting over, at city council many times because it has been true. But our group seeks to change the dialogue of how water, and particularly stormwater, is managed and viewed. Much of the fight has been because people are so affected by flooding. We can't change that we exist at the basin of the watershed, but we can change what happens between earth and sky to reduce flooding hazards. Urban forestry is one method. The FEMA change map shows new flood hazard areas in pink, removed areas in green, and unchanged areas in blue. The pink and blue areas may need green infrastructure retrofits to decrease impermeable areas to reduce and contain runoff and storm events. The river was here first and will be here last. What has ebbed and flowed over time is the outlook. Originally the primary source for the city of Petaluma, the river is now seen as a liability. As we look at a stormwater utility, we wish to propose this question. Is stormwater being considered a resource or a liability in the proposed projects and through stormwater maintenance? Petaluma is listed on the Federal Clean Water Act 303D list as having poor quality water due to high levels of the following diazinon pesticides from ag and individual household use, and point source chemicals, phosphates, etc., from both urban runoff, pr primarily car washes and home fertilizer use, and urban construction. Which brings us to Petaluma and our design project. Because Petaluma is facing requirements to improve water quality in the Petaluma River, the city must decide how best to address its runoff problems. Addressing poor road and sidewalks with green streets could reduce road maintenance by 20 to 30 percent and subsequent polluted runoff from these vehicles if students could ride bikes or walk to school safely. In December 2012, a single rain event increased stormwater infiltration upwards of 35 million gallons through the Ellis Creek facility. Stormwater pretreatment is an unnecessary taxpayer expense resulting in reduced capacity during storm events. Low Impact Development, LID, is an approach to stormwater management that mimics a site's natural hydrology as the landscape is developed. Green infrastructure 
is an approach to wet weather management that is cost-effective, sustainable, and environmentally friendly. Phase two NPDES permit requires new construction to use LID. Effective stormwater management strategies reduce the operations and maintenance costs associated with water retention, drainage, and landscaping. On-site management reduces treatment and maintenance costs to municipalities, which is beneficial to the local tax base. Reward-based incentives may include utility fee discounts, tax benefits, project grant funding, or even expedited review of development proposals. Stormwater utility fees are typically based on a property's impervious surfaces. One EPA document is easy to explain to people. If you pave, you pay. Having a dedicated stormwater utility helps bring these issues directly into people's awareness. Stormwater utility provides an opportunity to educate the public on costs and other issues of stormwater management and potentially to offer citizens participation through incentive programs. And Petaluma doesn't have to reinvent the wheel. Cities such as Palo Alto already do this. Palo Alto was an early stormwater utility adopter, establishing one in 1990. Its aggressive rebate program rewards people for reducing runoff and includes rain catchment systems, small and large, from rain barrels to underground cisterns. Impervious paved areas produce high amounts of stormwater runoff and move surface pollutants directly into storm drains. Palo Alto offers residential customer rebates of up to $1,000 to replace impervious replace impervious pavement with permeable solutions. Palo Alto offers the same rebate structure for green roofs, which can absorb most or all of the water that falls on them during small rainfall events and can greatly delay and reduce the runoff that would otherwise occur during major storms. This Petaluma neighborhood does a very good job of channeling water from its rooftops to wide bare streets and down storm drains. Unfortunately, they're just downstream of Corona Creek, an ongoing source of flooding for nearby seniors in a mobile community. The city could incentivize neighbors to reduce upstream flooding through disconnecting downspouts, sinking and storing water, and increasing street edge stormwater capacity with urban forestry, reducing road maintenance by a third. Anyone practicing regenerative stormwater management is also practicing urban watershed forestry. They are inextricably linked. In partnership with Daily Axe, the city is replacing lawns with more vertical plants, increasing infiltration as water is slowed. An urban forestry department could manage the stormwater utilities' renewable resources in Petaluma. Watershed health is tied to forests, which save energy, improve air quality, neighborhood vitality, and properties, provide habitat, reduce noise, and more. Because many of these solutions take place at the decentralized local level and will be in plain sight of citizens, the solutions themselves contribute to a heightened awareness of stormwater as well as a heightened literacy about the need for stewardship. LID and green infrastructure are sustainable practices that benefit water supply and contribute to water quality protection. LID uses site design and stormwater management to maintain the site's pre-development runoff rates and volumes. Let's look at a larger study. 
The American Society of Landscape Architects looked at 479 cases from across the U.S. The report finds the majority of projects turned out to be just as affordable or even more so than the traditional gray infrastructure. These examples of green versus gray infrastructure from World Resources Institute show comparisons for improving water infrastructure in New York, reducing groundwater pollution in Indiana, and minimizing stormwater runoff in North Carolina. When rain flows through a gray infrastructure, a lot of money is wasted, basically going down the drain. The bottom line to cost-effective stormwater management is to manage rainfall at the source using uniformly distributed, decentralized, micro-scale controls. In other words, low-impact development. Not only does green infrastructure cost less, but these practices further reduce costs of treating large amounts of polluted runoff. Look at the pollutants that simple stair-stepped catchments in Seattle removed from the stormwater. They also captured 98% of the stormwater leaving the street. Philadelphia did a life cycle analysis that went out to 2049 because they were deciding whether to build a 30-foot tunnel or go with a 50% LID solution. The LID solution saves almost $450,000 over the tunnel and gave extraordinary environmental and social benefits. Planning infrastructure solutions to Petaluma's current and future stormwater challenges will require us to think differently about how we manage runoff. Additionally, ratepayers will likely insist on greater benefits and efficiencies for the investments they're asked to fund. Green infrastructure promises cost-effective runoff management strategies that reduce or prevent flows of runoff into overstressed sewer systems and waterways while providing tangible benefits to neighborhoods and communities. The timeline of outreach and education is the map to implementation of a stormwater utility initiative, which could be realized in three major phases. Our group, Water, is committed to assisting in inquiry, endorsement, and promotion phases for a successful ballot measure. In 1854, Adobe Creek became the water source for the city of Petaluma. By 1880, most of Adobe Creek was diverted, and 100 years later, the creek was deemed dead. Its critters vanished, its dry creek bed, a wasteland of toxic garbage. In 1983, the United Anglers of Casa Grande High School began restoration efforts. They worked with officials to remove water diversions and keep the creek from being undergrounded. Their creek restoration efforts led to wildlife returning to the watershed. As we recover from a huge shift in capital from the public to the private sector, we see developers adapt by shifting from building to retrofitting. We can continue that reskilling and job creation through adopting regenerative policies. So that's our presentation, and um, we invited some folks to come out tonight and um, show their support for regenerative design principles to be included in your future policies. And if those people would like to stand and show their support tonight, um, we'd greatly appreciate that. And thank you very much, and if you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer them. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you for the presentation. Uh, in some ways, I think it struck on the earlier conversation of looking for more creativity and uh, more proactive, what can you do rather than manage programs from behind the curve. So I think that was good timing. Uh, are there any questions from the council on this presentation? With that, we thank you very much. Thank you. It is available on YouTube, and I'll go ahead and send the council the link uh, when I get home this evening. Thank you so much. So with that, um, we need to come back to the core of the mission here today because uh, I know that the city is looking for direction on um, what the council wants to uh, do to solve this issue of uh, the money that's coming up out of the loan and where we go to bridge the gap between now and when the next opportunity is to address the issue. Mr. Brown. Well, I don't have anything to say at this okay. point, but I'm certainly ready to respond when council okay. has questions. So what I took out of the notes was I took um, over the next 24 months, the uh, city is looking for direction from the council on um, extending the loan amount by 750000 or $757,000 uh, to keep the program going. And I trust the same philosophy of managing expenses and keeping it close to the vest would be implemented on a go-forward basis until we uh, do get definition of what a permanent cure is. Um, so I'm imagining that that's going to be the direction coming out of, the, out of the meeting tonight is that we go forward with uh, continuing to lend this stormwater maintenance program the funds necessary to continue uh, to operate until such time that we can put this uh, issue into a permanent state of funding through some mechanism. Councilmember Barrett. Um, well, yeah, no, I would, I'd be in favor of um, continuing the, uh, the loan until we, while we're bridging where we are to a solution. But um, regarding what the presentation provided, I do have some responses on how I'd like to see us look at going forward. You know, um, For one thing, I think that um, it's, if we're going to be asking our ratepayers to, um, to provide, you know, to pay for this service, I really think that we need to have an, a very clear idea of what's needed as we go forward. And I think that we need to have a list that is prioritized. We need to have a, uh, a metric for what was used for determining that priority and, um, and the ranking. We need, you know, people need to know what, what the city needs and what we see as our priorities if they're going to vote, uh, if they're going to vote to tax themselves whether it's a user fee or a uh, an actual tax, um, on pay, uh, page 19, where it was industry practices for funding, I thought that was in a very interesting um, uh, slide, and I'm a very. Uh, I would like to know if it's possible because I don't know what the sort you know the sources here. I don't know how much information they pose other than they're just saying we get it from three different sources or two different sources or one source. But it would be good to know what percentage is provided by what uh, funding mechanism. So Los Angeles, for example, you, has a stormwater charge. It has bond funding. And it, oh, it has four. It has a property tax assessment and it has general fund funding. So what percentage of the stormwater utility is paid for by those different 
um, sources. And the reason I find, think that's interesting is because different sources may allow us to provide, pursue different ends or different ways of going about this, where you might be limited by bond funding or property tax funding as to where you can go. But some of the more creative ideas that we just saw may be able to be funded in different ways and may actually allow us to um, leverage that money in a different way. So I, I really want us to look at that as we are making a proposal, if we are making a proposal to, to set up a utility, which I think we need. Um, and, you know, and, I, because I, and also the question is, is a hybrid model like this, you know, multiple funding sources, is that something we want to look at? I know that's a lot more complex. But it may, this is the time to be doing that work, not later, like not shoulda, coulda, woulda. Um, on uh, page 21, um, you, determining what the rate is we're going to be asking people to pay is very, very important. I don't think it should only be determined by what, what will win at the ballot, you know, like, oh, if it's four dollars people will vote for it if it's five dollars they won't vote for it I think that means you just need to educate people a dollar's worth more because um, I don't think anybody wants to uh, get a user fee or a tax or anything for the solution to their problem when they find out that they really haven't gotten enough money to solve that problem and so what I think we need to include in determining that rate is um, paying off the debt um, fixing the backlog, uh, payments for future CIP, and operations and management. So I think all those things need to be brought into this and not just what will get us up to, up to where we need to be and, and then we'll ask for more. I, I, I don't like that approach and I don't think it's um, really the most honest way of going forward. So those are my uh, comments. I thought it was a really good presentation and I know we all know that stormwater just goes into the sewer, so it should probably go through the wastewater treatment, but oh well. Okay, thank you. Other comments? Sure. Mr. Healy. Um, thank you. So just kind of a general observation. I, I heard the phrase um, impermeable surface um, more times than I could count tonight, but um, and, and I get the concept, but I also think that when we have major stormwater events, major floods in this town, um, the concept of impermeable surface usually goes out the window at that point because the ground is saturated and all surface is impermeable. Um, so you can educate me on that point or, or else take that point into consideration as we design these things going forward. Um, I, I, I do think that you know this was a, a good exercise tonight in terms of community education. There's going to need to be a lot more of that and also um, educating the community about what kind of improvements are achievable um, with with you know more adequate funding sources um, and um, so that's going to be a continuing conversation that we need to have with respect to the um, the continuation of the loan um, I guess one one issue I'd like to have more information on is what are the balances in the account that we would be borrowing from and what are we going and and then looking at at page six um, you know we got a, a bit of a verbal tonight on on why the increases in FY 14 and 15 from what was adequate in 13 but 
you know, that's a pretty substantial jump. It's like 50% jump from what we've been able to get by with in FY13 up to 14 and 15. And, and, I, and I think since we're, you know, borrowing funds from a, a source that's supposed to be dedicated for a different purpose, um, I would be more inclined towards supporting a, a continuation of the loan at, with spending levels at the, at, at, at the current levels as opposed to bumping it up unless staff can really articulate a reason why we need to, to, to bump those things up in the near term. So those would be my comments for tonight. And, and then also just to circle back what I was saying before, um, I think in, in terms of the, uh, the long term looking out in terms of when, when and if we would go to the voters with something like this, I think we need to be very cognizant of what, what other things we might be wanting to go to the voters with too. And, you know, a, a half cent general sales tax for the general fund would generate a whole lot more money than the $1.3 million this program would. And, and so we have to prioritize and, and, and make things, everything fit on the same page. Thank you. Mr. Brown. Uh, just a couple of things, and we can certainly come back with with what Mr. Healy was asking about. Uh, what we would be talking about here is a two-year period of time, so you could expect to see that be 25% larger just because of the time frame involved. So that, that takes us up over six, well over $600,000. Uh, and, you know, your two major areas that we didn't really address the last time around are the NPDES uh, permitting as well as just this, this notion of program setup and planning for the future. And then that certainly is a guess, but those would be the areas that are that are driving the cost increases the most. Yeah, and that's what I was looking for more information on, because there, there's a line on, on page six, but we didn't get much explanation on that. Uh, so we'll, we'll bring that back to you. Uh, your loan does expire on the 30th of June, and you know we wouldn't necessarily need to have a mechanism in place on the 1st of July, but I think it would be helpful for making payments in July uh, for the various cost centers that we're talking about here to probably bring this back to you at your meeting of, I believe it's the 15th for a decision, so yeah, 15th of July. So if it would be acceptable to the council to, to move in the direction of extending the loan, we can bring that additional information and anything other council members might want to raise in that regard in the staff report at that time. I think we have everybody nodding their heads, yes, you know, we're going to find a way to extend the loan. The question is, um, how we <laughs> permanently take care of this liability off into sure. the future. So um, I, I think that we'll probably wind up in the direction of keeping the expenses down as much as is prudent without eliminating a core program that creates a disaster from a flooding standpoint. So uh, Mr. Michello. Yeah, I can, I can answer the first part of Councilmember Healy's question on the balance in the storm drain fund. We're thinking that's going to be about $2.5 as of June 30th. So the incremental loan would be a little over a $1 million over the next two years. So there is enough funding in place. Now, what projects that would disperse or, or I, I can't really address that this evening, what projects wouldn't be done because of that loan. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Kearney. So uh, the question that was brought up about whether or not um, it's a 50% or two-thirds ballot issue, I'd love to see a, a good solid answer on. And then whether or not we can do it in a June election with the primary as opposed to the November, which I think would be huge because uh, the other sales tax that Councilmember Healy referred to has to be done in November. So if we, if we can do this in a June primary, that would be, I think, much more advantageous to us. 
Okay, so I, I want to kind of lay in um, some thoughts here. Um, the idea of low-impact development uh, that was brought not only by the staff report but in the presentation that former council member Renee uh, brought to us with people from the community, that's something that needs to be done. It, it, it's proactive. I don't know what the path is with our development codes or whatnot. One of the things that's frustrating is that uh, you have visions, you have goals. We even set it up at goal setting session to try to deal with stormwater issues and whatnot. And when projects come in front of us and push comes to shove, then we find out how severely our hands are tied with what it is we can actually really legally require. So without a cooperating developer, uh, and I don't know whether it falls in this particular category, but it comes up in other instances, you wind up asking rather than requiring. And so if we can get to a point where some of these things that make good sense and are part of best management practices, that we can actually require them. Uh, if we can require them now, great. If we can't, as we go forward, uh, how do we get it to where our codes are such that we can require some of these things. Uh, the green roof that would lessen the amount of runoff off of rooftops. Um, that's something that at least in an isolated case, sometimes we've asked for, at least I have on some developments and you wind up finding out there's nothing there that requires it so you can't get it. Um, the uh, if you pave, you pay. Uh, when I was out at Regency, uh, it, it hit me again that uh, we did get some things there because not all of the parking lot is paved. There are some areas that are actually lawn and will only have cars on them when, they're, um, uh, when there's an overflow of parking. And that's a good thing. Uh, so if we can get more of that. Uh, in, as far as having a group of activists come in um, like this, I think we have to catch um, this opportunity to know if we are going to put, whether it's a fee or a tax, before the voters. Here are people that are passionate about an issue. Uh, I know in looking at other tax measures uh, that have passed in this uh, county, such as Measure M, uh, when that passed, it passed because coalitions were built. And so you could take something out of a presentation that we got here tonight. Maybe it's not the whole package that they get out of everything they put up there. Maybe there's some things that are incorporated into on a go-forward basis that would keep the energy of that group and working toward uh, having grassroots out there and feeling like they got included into what they value, because this is our community, too. So, um, in fact, that's what this is supposed to be about. When I look at an organizational chart, uh, the first thing on an organizational chart says the public. And then it goes down from there. So here you've got people from the public coming and saying this is what we'd like to see happen in our community. So where it makes sense, let's embrace it. Um, so maybe there's some energy that can be captured there. I'd like to see if we could uh, get some kind of camaraderie going back and forth and see if we could uh, come to a consensus. If we are going to put in a utility fee, uh, what is it that we do with that? And so where does it make sense and where would the community really buy into it? That's it. So with that, is there any other comments here tonight? I want to thank the public for being here. I want to thank Mr. St. John. It was a good report. appreciate it very much. And with that, I'll entertain a motion to adjourn. So moved. Second. All in favor say aye. Aye. We're out of here. Don't forget to turn out the lights.